I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. In the history of television, there have been few primetime TV lineups that have matched Saturday nights on CBS in 1973. Check this out. The evening kicked off at 8 p.m. with All in the Family, and was followed by MASH at 8.30, The Mary Tyler Moore Show at 9, The Bob Newhart Show at 9.30, and things were rounded off with The Carol Burnett Show at 10. Classic TV doesn't get any better than that, and variety shows haven't gotten any better than Carol Burnett. Joining us today on the podcast is Wesley Hyatt, author of The Carol Burnett Show Companion, So Glad We Had This Time, for which he spoke to dozens of actors, writers, and production personnel. As such, he serves as the perfect guide not only to the show, but Carol herself, providing unexpected insight into both. When you sit down and write the book, and obviously you have a perception of what the the Carol Burnett Show is from your point of view, from the outside looking in. Once you start interviewing writers and guest stars and that sort of thing, what becomes the takeaway? I mean, what, what, what sort of revelations for you as a viewer suddenly getting an inside look that did you took, take away from that experience of writing the book? Um, I got the biggest takeaway was uh, it was mentioned to me um, by one of the writers who said, you know, why did you like watching the show? I said, well, when I grew up, I watched it with my family. He said, that's the key thing. Everyone regarded that show as a family show. And that became the kind of the central theme of the book, I realized there, because it really was a show where people who worked on the show, they stayed there, you know, as long as they could. You know, the show had remarkably few turnovers, except for, you know, Lyle Wagner leaving after the seventh season. And then Tim Conway joining, that was about it for uh, being on the air for 11 seasons, which is pretty impressive that way. And a lot of the personnel stayed um, with the show as much as possible um, that they could as well, because they all liked working with Carol and the atmosphere that she set there. Um, And it was very much, um, you know, the type of show that had appeal to everybody, you know, had... um, crazy knock out comedy for little kids, but also sophisticated farce as well for adults and lines they could get and laugh about while the kids were kind of like, Oh, what was that? What was so funny about that? You know? Right. And, um, and, and, you know, it had, it was professionally done as well, very much, uh, uh, uh from CBS studios there in Hollywood. They, they had, uh, the top production people involved and, and, and the show itself, you know, it, it, it was uh, loved as well by the industry, by the number of, it had um, one of the highest number of Emmy Awards of any TV series of all time, I think, still. I think it's maybe in the top 10, definitely in the top 20 among uh, nighttime shows, uh, the total number of Emmys it won. Right. Yeah. You, you said the, the uh, Carol, everyone enjoyed working with Carol. What was sort of your takeaway about her as a person, as a, as a professional? What, you know, what was sort of... Well, that's it. What was the takeaway for you? What what perception did you have of Carol Burnett after talking to everybody about Carol Burnett? Carol wanted everyone to have fun on the show more than anything else. She can't had, had them come in and just say, you know, let's let's have a good time. This should be fun for us as well as for people watching the show and kept that attitude. And she also had a very good showrunner with her husband who served as executive producer in that they basically worked um business hours there the show uh you were come in at nine and you were finished at five except on fridays when they taped the two shows one in the late afternoon and one in the early evening um it was 
very surprising to me. But yeah, most of the writers said, yeah, we just work the the hours there. Sometimes the only time they'd work late is like if they had problems coming up with a sketch or a finish for a sketch or, or something like that. Um, doing it that way. And that's unheard of. The number of people who, who, who said, um, like they told Vicki Lawrence, this is not the way normal show business is because Carol was very professional and running it that way. Also very friendly. She knew everyone's name and recognized them no matter if they were just the cleaning staff. Um, and, and was very friendly to them that way. A lot of stars aren't, aren't that way either, you know, and that's why, her show was able to get a lot of uh, guest stars that came back um, several times. You know, the most famous ones being Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet and Ken Berry. But there were another a number of people who did her shows uh, several times and uh, would have been happy to do it even more often because they just found she was a fantastic person to work with and very giving and very supportive of them uh, and Again, that's not what you normally associate with show business. Not at all. And what's amazing to me is, you know, again, I'm going to not pretend that I've done deep research on Carol Burnett's background. But from what I have read, it sounds like for a woman who came back from such a troubled background and a family situation to break out into become this really the, one of the most successful variety show hosts ever. That's pretty amazing. It is, and I think it strikes to her work ethic that she had there. Uh, she originally uh, went to UCLA to become, uh, believe it or not, a cartoonist. She had uh, that had been her original ambition there to graduate from the school like that. But then she did a theater uh, piece there, and she got the acting bug. And there was um, a benefactor there who saw her doing. Uh, her work and thought she's got material, uh, she's got potential here. So he put up some money for her to, to, uh, go to New York. And he said, you know, if uh, I think you're going to be a success, repay this money to me in five years, I trust you on doing that. And in fact, she did become a success. She went there and she had to struggle some there in New York, like any other unknown actress, but she, was very strong in uh, auditioning and she got a lot of uh, time, especially on Gary Moore's daytime show where she became a favorite. She'd do a lot of comic numbers there. Um, she clicked, especially when she did, uh, I made a fool of myself over John Foster Dulles. Right. And that be a, a big hit there on the tonight show on Jack Parr and even got her on the Ed Sullivan show at the time. Um, and uh, she eventually, uh, the thing that really sealed it for her, was um, there was a time on the Gary Moore show when he moved to nighttime in 1958-1959 season where Martha Ray got sick one time and just could not do the show. And they brought in Carol and uh, under CBS's protest, CBS said, well, we'll just do a repeat. And they said, uh, yeah, no, you're either doing the show with Carol or we're not going to do it at all. Wow. And she did it last minute, did it superbly. Um, you know, she had a lot to learn and a lot to do. And Gary Moore mentioned that and, you know, had the audience come out and thank her. And she got the audience on her side and soon they made her a regular on there. And that's led, led, led to her successful career. And it's also interesting, too, is in again, you can correct me if I'm wrong in this research, that it seems like the reason she got the variety show in the first place, her own show, 
was because of a contractual obligation because of the Gary Moore contract that they had to give her any show she wanted, any type of show she wanted for a season. Yeah, it was very funny. I talked to Mike Dan about that before he passed away. He was the head of programming at CBS. And this was the first contract he had for talent was with Carol because she became such a star after three seasons on the Gary Moore show. She announced she was going to leave and do some things. So CBS was under pressure. Like she was very popular and the Gary Moore show was often in the top 10 and a lot of people attributed it to her success of mugging and singing and that sort of thing. So being CBS are like, well, this is a top star. Let's put her under contract. And unbeknownst to Mike Dan, as he said there at the time, um, Carol's um, lawyer did a good job of getting a little provision in there that's saying within that five-year period, if she wanted any time, she could get a guaranteed season's worth of shows from CBS, including a variety show. And um, what happened during the ensuing years from that, um, Carol had some professional challenges and setbacks. She did a show called fade out fade in and broadway where uh there were a lot of problems that happened on the show and it ended up giving her kind of a bad reputation and she went um with her husband to hollywood in 1965 but only got a couple of uh supporting roles and um then it hit them around christmas time in 1966 when they were looking around and then she suddenly remembered oh wait we can activate this part of the contract so she called up Mike Dan and said, hey, we'd like to do a series. And like, oh, what? And she's like, yeah, look at the contract. Yeah. And uh, now Mike Dan told me now, he said the contract, even so, it didn't specify that he had to put it in nighttime necessarily. You know, he's like, I could have put her on Saturday morning if I didn't want it to. But he, he was wise enough not to do it. But he did not do them any favors, it seemed initially, because he put them, uh, the show, on Monday nights at 10 through 11, where CBS had been having a lot of problems the entire 1960s. Uh, they had a lot of shows that failed there, East Side, West Side with George C. Scott. They had the Gene Arthur show that bombed there for a while. Uh, they had Stone for the Stars, which was a revival of um, Panama and Quiz. Um, so, and it was airing opposite my, uh, I Spy, on NBC, which had just been uh, hit and, you know, gotten a lot of enemies and uh, the big Valley on ABC. So everybody privately was like, well, you know, CBS, there was some executive of CBS who uh, told one of the writers going out there to work on the show from who's moved from New York to Hollywood. He said, uh, best of luck to you, but that show's going to bomb. You so know? they were preparing it for failure, basically. Yeah. And in fact, Mike Dan had, when um, uh, Carol's husband uh, visited Mike Dan to talk about the uh, show and some work at Dan's office in New York, uh, Dan had to step out for a little bit. And then her husband, Joe Hamilton, noticed hmm, that it looks like they've got a little flap over the show here uh, underneath the, our show on the schedule. And he opened up and it, and it said like underneath it had a question mark. What would be replacing the show in 1967? Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, so <laughs> that definitely, uh, caught Mike Dan by surprise. I uh, get that way. It, but it, it, it was, yeah, it was not thought because Carol's star had dimmed some since when it, when she'd been on uh, the Aaron Moore show, it was, she'd not had as much success on Broadway. 
she was still a name, but she was not, you know, considered a top name. But um, what happened was uh, during the first couple of shows, she was able to have some big names come on her show. She started, of course, with Jim Neighbors, um, who was very popular at the time. Gummer Pie was a big top ten hit, and people tuned in to see him. She also had uh, Lucille Ball as one of her first guests. Um, so she had some good ones to, to kick her off there, and that helped the show get pretty um, stabilized. And <clears throat> by the end of the season, to everyone's surprise, her show was had finished in the top 30 and had topped uh, I Spy and knocked I Spy off the air. And um, the Big Valley lasted only one more year against it as well. That's something. I mean, so that really did catch everyone by surprise, that success, I mean. Yeah, it did. Um, and but they the industry, though, loved her. Um, they you know, the Carol Burnett show is one of the few shows that was nominated for um, best in its genre every year. It was on the air every year for 11 years. It was nominated for best variety series or comedy variety or however they counted there, um, you know, because it had such a, a high standing on it. Um, now, at the same time, I can tell you from going back and looking at the shows, there was different styles of comedy there, but there were some things that started in the first season that lasted throughout the whole um, run of the show, such as the first year um, they started doing As the Stomach Turns, <laughs> right? you know, which was uh, a soap opera parody that uh, originally was not, it was just supposed to be like a one shot type deal that they had. Um, but it, it morphed, it went so well the first time that Carol told um, the writers, let's do more of that and let's keep going and, and keep it going that way. And that became their longest running sketch. Uh, also during the first season, they um, had a spoof of old time movies called the fun family with John Davidson and Mickey Rooney. And that went, got a lot of good attention and good press from there. And that led to them doing more spoofs of old movies, which became a staple of the show. And there was also um, a one sketch where Carol was bedeviled by all these characters from commercials. And that also became a, a running sketch as well. So you can see the genesis of some things going on uh, during the first season that lasted for years on the show. Uh, at the same time, it was, still finding itself some uh, uh they, they they had um they, they had gary moore on the show along with derwood kirby and watching that it felt like you were watching the gary moore show again i noticed when i saw that uh they had the smothers brothers on there and that felt like more of a smothers brothers comedy hour because they were on so much and doing that thing it took took it a little bit of time to find out uh it's definite um defining itself as its own series. But once it did there, it just took off. Oh yeah. I mean, people forget now it was part of that amazing Saturday night lineup, right? Of all in the family, MASH, Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart and Carol Burnett. Yeah. And then how that happened was pretty interesting because I talked to um, Fred Silverman about that. The show was very established Monday nights on CBS for its first four seasons Right. And then Fred Silverman took over from Mike Dan because uh, the network uh, wanted to go into, uh, I guess, they, they called it the Rural Purge, where they yeah. were getting the old uh, shows like Green Acres and Beverly Hillbillies that that went for a predominantly older audience, rural, you know, not as attractive to advertisers. 
Uh, well, Carol's show, of course, was <clears throat> one of the exceptions to the rule not like that type. And at the same time, Fred Silverman wanted to make a big splash. He also knew that uh, Adam 12 was kicking off the night on Wednesdays for uh, NBC, and he wanted a strong show there against it because they uh, tried the previous year, I think, with the storefront lawyers, which was a disaster for them. So he moved Carol to Wednesday nights at 8. Now, Carol was not thrilled because of the earlier time slot. She thought, you know, we have some sophisticated comedy here, and we also have – I don't really book um, – rock acts you know she really did she really did not the first four years the only person who had a hit on the charts um when she was on the show was Dionne warwick in fact um oh, wow. okay yeah you know, carol lo loosened it up there later on and had like like that season she had the carpenters and the jackson five and so on there so that was good but um she went ahead and um like a good person and did the show on wednesdays and Carol said that they didn't do too hot, but they actually did. The ratings held up fairly well, um, the things they did. They were behind in second place some um, to uh, Adam-12 and to the, the mystery movie on NBC, which included Columbo at the time, but still it was a very strong second. And then the following year, 1972-73, um, uh, they moved because – um, they had um, Fred Silverman basically wanted to save the Sonny and Cher comedy hour where he had uh, <clears throat> it had been doing well on Carol's old night on Monday night so he thought I think this will be the one that can knock out Sanford and Son on Fridays well he was wrong and they, the ratings went down so to save it he was looking at the other options and there weren't too many because CBS was doing so well at the time but one thing he thought of was <clears throat> that he could put them in Carol's time slot and then move Carol to Saturday nights from 10 to 11, where Mission Impossible was doing okay, but not as strong as the rest of the shows on Saturday nights were. So he moved it there, and that's where the show became an anchor and probably best-known slot. It stayed there for most of the rest of its run yeah. uh, for five years. That's amazing. That's amazing. Seriously. And, and it was some lineup. I just remember that even as a teenager, it was just like <laughs> that Saturday yeah. night was just amazing. So I remember Fred Silverman told me that he considered it his best night of programming that he did um, while at CBS and that the ratings astounded him. He said uh, the lowest rated show for that night got a 40 share, which means four out of uh, every 10 TV sets that were in use at the time were watching CBS, which was, you know, it's unheard of nowadays. Oh, and of was, but back then, that was a huge thing to have as well. You know, that was just a, a big um, factor for them to have going there. And it uh, worked wonderfully well for the network and for Carol show. It's amazing that, uh, you know, a lineup like that could exist on Saturday nights back then. And today it's like a dead zone. Oh, yeah. It's the exact opposite. I think people might have a hard time believing that people would stay home and watch TV like that on Saturday nights, but it was it was true like that. And the the thing I noticed, um, <clears throat> it was it really destroyed. ABC had a tough time back in the seventies until the Love Boat came on and gave Carol competition in the last season. 
ABC basically canceled Saturday nights every year. They had, came up with a new lineup every year, and everything bombed on it. It was really tough. NBC was helped out because they had a, a um, their movies on there. Um, some would do well. Um, like I remember The Godfather premiere did well and knocked Carol down for some low ratings, but um, mostly they sat, they settled for a, a decent second place behind the Carol and everyone. Right. You know, did did the show go off the air by choice or were the ratings dropping? I mean, what were the circumstances? Uh, <clears throat> According, Carol said it was by her choice to do that, but the ratings were dropping. Um, th- they had in the last season – um, Fred Silverman and moved over to ABC and he uh, debuted the Love Boat opposite the, the series. And the Love Boat killed it, along with the fact that Harvey Corman had left um, the last season. Right. Uh, in part because Fred Silverman offered him his own show on ABC. So of course. <laughs> um, uh, with that, the show uh, really took a, a beating there um, on. Saturday nights, but CBS decided they thought it had some potential. So they moved it to Sunday nights where it would be, it would follow um, a stronger assortment of all in the family and Alice and then come in there um, that way. And the ratings did go up. There was one week when it followed uh, all the Sunday night shows, followed the Super Bowl that Carol's show, show finished in the top 10, in fact. But it was still not a blockbuster. So when she did announce that she was ending the show herself, uh, she made a point to say that CBS said that they were going to renew it. But uh, as many people have told me privately, you know, CBS, that did not mean CBS was going to necessarily renew the show for a whole season. And they could have canceled it mid season without any big fanfare like NBC did with the, uh, Bonanza and um, Ironside, you yeah. know, after worn out, they're welcome. So I think Carol knew she wanted a big closing show, and she got that. And I think it was a smart way to do it because, to be honest, the last season there was not very, very much. Um, it was not as good as preceding seasons were. Uh, the writers were trying to write for Dick Van Dyke to be like. Harvey Corman was and Dick was didn't like that and he left after 12 episodes and then they had Ken Berry and Steve Lawrence fill in some but it just didn't have the same magic and chemistry as the show beforehand and 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 by that point I mean I, I've been written, written in the book by the, the the 11th season they had one segment of the show where they did their third tribute to MGM Studios with the third spoof they had of, of Jekyll and Hyde, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, at that point, you know, the law of diminishing returns is applying, and oh, yeah. you just bring out much more humor, you know. And I, I, I honestly, I think of most, they covered almost all the classic uh, movies from the 30s and 40s of spoof. Uh, I don't know what they, they didn't have hardly anything left by the end, you know. Sure. So, Show runs that long; it's going to run out of uh, run out of steam. Yeah, after three hundred episodes, yeah. I mean, you and you had they went through fifty different writers or so, and you know, it just it just it's a constant uh, struggle to come up with new and original uh, comedy things. You know, I know it's it's uh, you know, writers definitely earned their Emmys for 
coming up with so many inventive situations that they uh, had at the time there, um, you know, apart from the recurring sketches there. But, you know, coming up with something new and having it really click is a definite challenge for any writer to do. And, and Carol and the Carol appreciated that and, you know, um, would give it her all. She and Harvey would try and find a way to make it humorous, even if it didn't seem as funny on, on paper sometimes, but they would do that. Right. You know, you said she went out the way she wanted to go out with the show. What was so special about the way the show ended? CBS gave her a two hour show finale there where she was able to play some clips from classic bits that she had not shown before. They had had a 10th anniversary show the previous season, which had a lot of good clips there, but this one had some other good ones, obviously, since you have like 11 years ago, whether you, you got a good assortment there. She was also able to wrap up some storylines with characters like <clears throat> Mrs. Wiggins and Mr. Tudball, where they talked to, where they had the flashback of how uh, he hired her and, uh, they also had another one with uh, Mama and Eunice going into therapy and trying to get things resolved and not really doing so. Uh, that was pretty enjoyable. And then there were some surprise things they had. Joe Hamilton <clears throat> got uh, Jimmy Stewart to surprise Carol on stage and tell her how much he loved her. And she she idolized Jimmy Stewart. And she just broke down in tears after that. Um, it was very funny, very funny. And then at the end, uh, the show, as everyone knows, at, at the end of every season, Carol would dress up in her charwoman character and would uh, say season's over and would uh, go through the Bear um, studios there at CBS Television Studio City and uh, survey everything. Well, this time she got the charwoman and then came out as a charwoman to applause, you know, standing ovation at the studio audience. They had one this time. And then she sat on the pail and then just spoke extemporaneously about what the show means and what people meant to her. And it was just so heartfelt and so well done. And um, by the time uh, she was seeing, uh, I'm so glad we had this time together by the end she she was doing it through tears and i remember watching it as a kid and i was tearing up too right and you know as a <clears throat> child a teenager in the 70s it was a not considered good form to be crying you know for any reason at all <laughs> of course uh, but, um you know but it definitely um did made me do that and uh it was uh, you know it was a classy way to go out it was just uh beautifully done it was better most long-running variety shows never had that advantage they got canceled there at the end dean martin had a no closing show um ed sullivan decided when he got the axe from cbs in 1971 he thought his show should have been around for two more years to have a 25th run so he was ticked off he didn't have a closing show um it, but it was different by the 70s because people were expecting more you know we're going to have a big finale, and people like doing that. Sorry about that the interruption there. That's okay. Um, uh, you know, they'd have that with the Mary Tyler Moore show and everything, and that became the uh, big style at the time. And I think it was 
<clears throat> to Carol's credit that she did that there. It helped um, help put a nice button on the show, I guess you could say, at the end. But then she came back, right, on ABC, I guess it was. Was it the following year for four, four episodes? Yeah. She, she, she did uh, a summer series there with ABC um, because she had <clears throat> some idea for a few th more things to do. She had Vicky and Tim, and there were a few other people, I think, like uh, Craig Richard Nelson, and I'm going to hate myself for forgetting who else is in the book. But um, they did that, and then she wanted to do that again maybe as a recurring summer process but 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 then the next season see Tim Conway had his own series on CBS and they couldn't schedule it and so they kind of stopped doing the plan to do that all summer after that of course after that time Carol did more movies and things like that and then uh, she came back she did a couple more TV shows but they just didn't click and then now She's basically doing a one-woman show where she's taking questions from the audience just like she did on her TV show more than 50 years ago. Right. And people love that stuff, though. Oh, yeah. You know. And I think she enjoys it as well, getting them, uh, you know, connecting with people and uh, seeing their reactions and, <clears throat> you know, getting all sorts of she, – she gets all kinds of questions, and she handles them well. You know, that I know there are a lot of stars who their worst nightmare would be to stand up and – front of an audience oh, yeah. have them ask questions any questions they want about them, you know but carol did that incidentally because they used to do that on the gary moore show when it went to videotape and they were having some problems setting up some things so they <coughs> um, talk to the audience and say if you want any questions while we're trying to get things together and roll it that way and then when they started carol's show initially the first guest was actually uh, Mike Douglas and Lynn Redgrave were the first guests, and they had a big production number coming out. But after that, and then the next one, I think, was Martha Ray and so on that one. After those two shows, Joe Hamilton and his executive producer were telling Carol, you know, this show, is it's not, it's not kicking off the way we think. We think if you'd go doing those question things you used to do with Gary Moore, I think that would start the show more distinctive. And let people know, you know, relate to you more, you know, because that'll be the, about the only time they see you not in a character. Yeah. Being yourself. So she was like, oh, God, I'm not thrilled. OK, I'll give it a shot. So that third show was the one with Jim Neighbors. She came out and started asking questions and she said, no, ask anything you want. And she got worried because it seemed a little quiet. And then someone volunteered, like, who's your guest star? Oh, Jim Neighbors. Oh, yeah. And then they. And she told them, you know, Harvey Carmen was there and they liked that because they knew him from the Danny Kay show for four years. Right. And it broke the ice and um, it became the staple of the show. And, you know, her um, her style of <clears throat> working with the audience as well. And people forget they don't really she really was the first female host of a variety show, right? Yeah, I mean, you could say I would say a comedy variety show. There was Dinah Shore did have her own series back in the 50s and 60s, um, but it was musically based. Like Judy there, Garland as well, I guess. Yeah, Judy Garland as well. And there was also Imogene Coca had her own variety show, but it morphed into a, uh, a, a situation comedy when it wasn't working. Um, Martha Ray had a monthly series of specials on NBC in the 50s. But yeah, Carol, when she first did it, 
CBS was like, nobody does comedy variety. Women don't do comedy variety. You know, do do a sitcom like Lucy does and everything. And Carol's like, no, I want to do different sketches and not be thought of as just one character. And um, to her, um, that was a pretty admirable um, thing for her to make decision to do. And I think that was smart on her part um, not to get caught up that way. Um, You know, I think they mentioned before, um, I think Lucille Ball might have considered doing it, but she decided to stick with uh, doing her sitcoms instead. And so, uh, and, you know, there was always comparisons between Carol and Lucy, but um, I think in my book, I talked to, God, I can't remember who it is, but one of them said uh, she thought that it was better for Carol to be in the comedy variety because Carol could have more layers to the way she performed, you know, with the singing and the dancing and even some of the uh, dramatic elements as well. Carol could do that uh, Lucy couldn't or wouldn't do on her show. Right. And the two of them were very close, right? I mean, that was the, that's the impression I've had. They were very close. Lucy died on Carol's 56th birthday. Lucy had always made sure to deliver flowers and gifts to Carol's birthday, and they came there that day when she died as well. Uh, They did swap on each other's shows. Lucy did four shows of uh, Carol's at the same time. And um, I think they, you know, there's a definite love and appreciation between the two of them that they had. Um, going on uh, that shows up as what they have uh, both on Carol's show and when Carol did uh, Lucy's uh, show a couple of times as well. They uh, really went all out and and I remember one of the writers was just like, you know, they would meet the stars and they would, you know, they would privately, you know, they go like, oh my gosh, that's Lucille Ball being so friendly to me. (laughs) Very impressed with her too, you know. She had it. She had it. You know, she was Lucy. Yeah, absolutely. And we all love Lucy. We know that. Uh, (laughs) But uh, You know, with Carol, all the success Carol had, though, how much in her private life, and we alluded a little bit to this before, but how hard was her private life? I mean, I'm talking from childhood on because I know her parents were alcoholics and there were all these other things going on and they weren't nice to her, (laughs) it seemed. How how hard was that private life? It was hard. Hard, but she may, she focused on the good parts of it. She was helped by she was raised by a grandmother who was quite a character. Um, she her, she learned learned that her grandmother in her later years was seeing a younger man and, and having a good time doing so. Uh, she, she was also able to get away and go to the movies a lot and have a great time. She loved going to the films in the the thirties and forties and, and playing characters that way. And, um, she had a good experience, uh, there growing up in, in, in California at the time. I think, um, she did not let adversity hold her back. Uh, she was an early adherent, I guess you could say in the power of positive thinking and always thinking like, okay, I'm going to do this and try and, and do that. You know, no, no matter what the odds were stacked against her, she would always take that effort and, 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 and do that. And when she auditioned for Broadway shows, if she didn't get picked for them, she'd like, okay, that wasn't my turn. That wasn't the right thing. Let's move on and go to the next thing. Right. 
And in fact, when she finished doing the Carol Burnett show, she showed a reporter in the New York Times um, a necklace she had gotten for from uh, Beverly Seals that said, um, I've already done that or something like that. Like, yes, I've made that accomplishment. And now let's go on and do some more. Right. <clears throat> Which I think is a very helpful approach to have, you know, rather than I, I, I can. I've heard about some actors and actresses who complain bitterly about roles they missed out or opportunities that happened to them there. Uh, Carol has chosen not to do so. And I think that's endeared her to a lot of people. Hey, look, and the stuff with the daughter too, seriously, the estrangement, then they get together and then the daughter dies from cancer. I mean, that is hard stuff to put on a happy uh, public face for, you know what I mean? And that happened during that, that, that situation with the drugs happened during the last season. And I asked several people, did you know about it? Did, did any of that come to work? And they said, no, not really. Yeah. They insisted on that. So I'm like, okay. So I did not include that in the book because if they say it didn't happen, I got it from like four or five different people. Like, no, that she, she was there focused on the work when it came there. You know, that was just her situation with Carrie there when she, went at home to do things. But I'm, I, I, I have my own feeling though. I think that situation with her kind of threw her and her husband off the ball somewhat in the last season. You know, I think, uh, they weren't as focused on the show as they could have and should have been, uh, for what it needed. Um, they, the, the last season had very new, few new guests to it. It was like using the, People she had used before, like Bernadette Peters coming back a couple of times and Rock Hudson and so on. Rodney McDowell, <clears throat> there were, and the, the few new ones that did show up weren't that impressive, except for Steve Martin showed up in the end. That's after she announced the show was going to be going off. And so did James Garner. And she appeared with James Garner in the movie. You know, those were pretty big. But if she had them on earlier in the season rather than later, that might have made some difference. But Again, this is all just speculation sure. on my part. You know, I should qualify that. So no problem. I mean, you also bring, you brought up Roddy McDowell. I don't know if anybody told an anecdote about this, but I always love the fact that he came up on stage in his full apes makeup, planted to the apes makeup. <laughs> I mean, I love that. Did anybody talk about that when you were interviewing people, or no? That not uh, up? no, not specifically Roddy. I think um, there was. Uh, I think the ones, the dancers loved Ken Berry the most, I think, because they knew they'd have a great dance number with him when he was the guest star. <clears throat> they like that. Um, there also was um, a pretty good idea with Steve Lawrence that he could handle a good comedy sketch more than anything else. And, um, it, but, but overall, I mean, they would, Basically, as terms of the writers, they would just be like, let's just try and write what's best for the cast that we know there and, and get them um, going that way with an eye towards, you know, a guest star. If they've got someone coming on, you know, they would make a clever thing like when Helen Reddy was there and um, she she and Carol were playing uh, two women who were meek and being hit on by Harvey Corman and. John Biner, and she said, uh, Helen told uh, Carol, let's stick together. We need to do that. And, and Carol said, yes, you're right. 
we are strong, we are invincible, we are women. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that was always a good thing to uh, play if you could play off against what a guest star uh, had done there. Oh, yeah. Good, good to have that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, I mean, and some of the guest star, the, the one that really surprised me there, um, they'd wanted Sammy Davis Jr. as a guest star since the start, but he didn't do the show until the eighth season. And he had such a good time that he gave them a private concert backstage before they did the show. Wow. Came down and said, Sammy has something he wants to do that. And he did a concert for them. I mean, you know, that's, you know, but that's Sammy Davis Jr. Right yeah, that is, that totally is, you know, uh, you know, I look at people like, you know, like Mary Tyler Moore, for instance, when she left Dick Van Dyke, from everything I understand, she wanted to distance herself as much as she could from that show. She did the Mary Tyler Moore show. She wanted to distance herself, but then found that she could never kind of duplicate that success again. Did Carol ever have like a love-hate relationship with her own show or did it, did she have a hard time also after that trying to find work to keep going? Carol admitted she was worried where things would go after doing the show. You know, she had done that 11 years. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think there was some time to kind of dense distance herself that she tried to do in the movies as much as possible. You know, she did Annie, she did the four seasons with Alan, all the, but they were not as, as they all had a measure of success, but they, at the same time she was doing that, you know, her shows were incredibly popular and repeats there. Um, in the eighties, you know, they were still seen on a lot of stations. They added more edited versions of the show, um, to, uh, help out with syndication package. Plus mama's family, the spinoff from the show was doing pretty well too. Even though it ran a couple seasons on NBC and they canceled it, they kept it going in syndication and it was big at the same time too. And I think Carol by the 1990s realized, look, people love my show. I'm proud of my show. Let's at least acknowledge it and start, you know, giving it its due. So first they put the show out on VHS tape, and I think with Columbia House. And then later, you know, uh, this century it became with Time Life and they've been able to get them out. The, the challenge has been, has anyone seen it there? Um, they can't put out the whole show sometime because of the music rights being yeah. so expensive. So in the there's there's one really notorious one the one of the latest compilation uh, they have with uh cass elliott there um that show it was cass elliott and tim conway i think in 72 uh because cass sang a lot and they had a tribute to some songwriter or something like that the release show is barely 30 minutes long and Including in that 30 minutes is a rebroadcast of the Dennis sketch, the famous sketch that uh, Tim did with Harvey Corman, where he, you know, accidentally uh, hit himself with Novocaine and yeah. then you know, had parts of his body fall asleep. So you watch that, and you're like, oh my God, this is basically just 15 minutes of new material I'm watching here. Um, you know, and, and, and that's the thing people have asked me are we ever going to see the whole series? Um, release and i'm like no it just doesn't make financial sense uh and they can't get the music rights for the whole thing they can only do it that way um 
and you know, I, I just don't think uh, they're they're going to be able to 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 do it um, adequately there. You know, as much as in demand as the show is, um, <clears throat> we're talking nearly three hundred shows there. It's it can't be condensed the way Time Life has been able to do with getting all seven seasons of Laugh In out in one DVD box. I, I don't see them doing that with Carol's show. You know, I mean because it's it's more popular and everything and it's still in demand but 300 shows nearly yeah. 300 on a, on a disc set oh my gosh that's that's going to overwhelm people so. not only that we're moving away from disc sets you know what i mean everything is going streaming in a lot of ways yes, um, yeah. I mean, we're not there huh yeah and even there i think it'd be a question you know there'll be there'll, there are some shows where the um there won't be much interest in them because the, the stars were not that popular or, you know, yeah. there were um, a couple, you know, that they, they've just not done that, uh, you know, like, like that. So I don't think it's financially feasible for them, even if they were doing streaming to, to have yep. that. Go, you know? so, Absolutely. And so. that's the sad thing too. A lot of these stars and stuff that were, I'm not talking about Carol, but like the guest stars and all, and a lot of these shows, people these days just don't know who any of these people are anymore. Yeah. Or if they do, they know them from the shows themselves. You yeah. know, I bet there's a lot of people who watch I Love Lucy and are wondering, like, who's this Cornell Wild guy she's talking about? Exactly. Yeah. And um, it's, it's a shame, but that's you know, the nature of the beast as it, as it goes that way. So It is. Hey, look, I love Jack Benny. Nobody knows Jack Benny anymore. OK, but I love Jack Benny. So, uh, yeah, it's I know, well, I, I, I did my last book was on Bob Hope and they were presenting me at a college class and, and, and the instructor said, how many of you know who Bob Hope is? And there was not a single hand. And wow. I was, yeah. And he said, you need to find out about him, you know? So, um, that's, you know, if, if someone is omnipresent as Bob Hope was in his time is now being forgotten. That, that tells you how ephemeral, uh, things can be, fame can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, I mean, and I think it's probably a good way to wrap this in a sense, is the Carol Burnett show itself, what do you think its legacy is in the history of television or pop culture? Um, you can make a great case that it was the best comedy variety series ever. I really think you can. You know, it was very consistent in what it set out to do. It was um, aimed for, you know, basically middle-class audiences, um, giving them a good time for a lot of laughs and some music and, and dancing. And, uh, it, its legacy is that it, uh, was there to, you know, give you a good time without feeling like, uh, you were being, um, insulted for, uh, intellectually or, um, shall we say morally, you know, I don't think there was an effort to, uh, constant to make uh, audiences feel uncomfortable, like there is with some comedy nowadays. Oh, I think, yeah. I think, um, and there was a lot of love. Carol loved her audiences, her guest stars, and her everyone on her crew, and they loved her back. Um, I, I think, I think that's what comes through more than anything else is that uh, there's a show that <clears throat> loved people. People loved it. And it was the type of show that made someone like me feel like, wow, if, if the greatest thing I could do, if I ever got a TV show, I'd love to do a TV show like Carol Burnett's because she was having fun and, and, and having 
a great time and and playing you know dozens of characters of all ages you know sometimes the opposite sex uh you know anything and everything from fictional ones to <clears throat> distinct creations of our own and um it's something that I, i'm sad to say i don't think we're ever going to see on tv again like carol burnett we're so glad we had this time together Please subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about us, and if you give us a five-star review, we'll tug our ear to let you know that everything's okay. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.